Well, last week, Greg Ogden did a wonderful job of walking us through the amazing message and ministry of the man we know as the Apostle Paul. Other than Jesus himself, no figure in early Christianity had more of an influence in the explosive growth of the church than this one-time Pharisee and persecutor of Christians. It was through the beliefs and bravery of the Apostle Paul that God set off the expansion of Christianity from a small sect within Palestinian Judaism into the world-changing influence it was that moved the Christian gospel all around the circuit of this earth. Today I want to look with you at the final days of the ministry of Paul and what they have to teach to us. I want to speak especially to the men in our circle today, if I may, because I believe it may be those of us who are fathers and mentors of others to which Paul's example speaks most profoundly and directly. But let me be clear that this message certainly has applications for all of us who want to be part of the continuing movement of God's grace and truth across this world. It's a message for every one of us who wants to get to the end of our journey in this life and know that even if we made mistakes along the way, and who of us hasn't? Who of us doesn't have things about our life that we wish we could go back and say, do over about? But even if that's the case, who of us doesn't also want to get to the end of our life and feel like we finished well? <laughs> we finished well. That is certainly what Paul was aiming to do. And as we meet him in Acts chapter 20 today, it is towards the finish of his life. It's about 58 AD. And Paul can see the end of life's track looming up in front of him. The campaign against Christianity and the surrounding culture is intensifying now towards a fever pitch. Within seven years, the apostle Peter will be crucified upside down for his faith. And Paul himself will be arrested for the final time, his earthly voice silenced by a Roman executioner's axe. But Paul is not slowing down. Paul is not going on cruise control. We never hear him saying anything like you sometimes hear people say later on in life. You know, I, I taught Sunday school when I was younger. I, I volunteered in the youth ministry when I was in my 30s or my 20s. I did what I could with my kids. I put in my time as a volunteer. But that time of influence is past. You never hear the Apostle Paul ever talking like he's thinking about. It's even possible to retire from one's mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that strikes me as pretty amazing on one level. Because as Greg pointed out last week, Paul traveled nearly 7,000 miles for the sake of Jesus. In an era before buses and air, airplanes and trains and anything that would have made travel even approaching easy, Paul walked and sailed and rode nearly 7,000 miles in order to do the gospel work. He planted dozens and dozens of churches. He shared the gospel with thousands of people. He endured staggering hardships and persecution. And, and we would not have blamed him in the slightest, I suspect, for saying, hey, I have worked hard. I, I, have, I, have, I have given it all. Let me just put my feet up for these last seven years. Let me catch up on my hobbies. Let me work on my short game. But instead... 
as he nears the end of his life, Paul sets off on his third missionary journey. And this is what Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 records was on the mind of the father of the early church at this time. And I quote it, I consider my life worth nothing to me. What he's saying is, to heck with the comforts, to heck with being safe. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race. If only I may complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Have any of you ever seen the, the movie The Bucket List? Raise your hand if you've seen that film. For those of you who have not, it's the story of two men played famously by Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman who have both been diagnosed with terminal cancer and are thrown together by destiny. Very different kinds of men. But what they share in common is this passion to use the time they have left. Before they kick the bucket, there's a set of things they want to do. And so they get a list. They get a list. They're going to go skydiving. And and they're going to climb the pyramids. And they're going to drive race cars. And they're going to do all kinds of other things. And they go out there doing all those kinds of things together. And along the course of their adventures, they learn about many of the simple things that matter most. The DVD of this movie makes a great Father's Day gift. Nudge, nudge. If you're still in the shopping mode, I get no kickbacks, I want to confirm, for those sales. More seriously, however, what I really want to plunge into today is this question. Have you got a bucket list? Especially the dads and grandfathers and male mentors in the circle. Guys, have you, have you got a bucket list? Are there some things, maybe even some pretty hairy ones, that you want to complete before you finish the race? It's clear to me from reading his story that the father of the early church had such a list. Now, I don't know whether he ever kept it in a literally in, a, in the way that we might, but there were very obviously certain things that he was absolutely bent on doing before his time was up. And all of the things on his list fell underneath this one big headline of testifying to the gospel, the good news of God's grace. Paul believed that the greatest thing that he could do with the time that he had left, and he, you know, remember, keep in mind, Paul had a checkered past. Paul had whole seasons of life when he completely rejected <laughs> the way of Jesus and been living for entirely different things. But Paul, as he looked at the final stretch, had a set of things he was bent on completing to fulfill the command of Jesus and to help more and more people discover the grace of God, the wonders of God's grace. And so Paul sets out on the final days of his journey. And the first thing on his list was this. I want to encourage my family. That I got to get this done. I want to encourage my family to never give up trying to follow Christ's way. Paul completely understood something that, frankly, gets downplayed in many Christian circles today. Many Christian circles today, the assumption, unspoken perhaps, is that being a Christian is not all that different than being anything else. 
as a, just a, a little bit of varied pattern of attendance on the weekends, and a little varied pattern of how you talk or control your tongue. Or, but it's not all that different. Paul understood that the way of following Jesus was radically different than the way that's being practiced in so many parts of the world today. And that it's hard to live this life. It takes courage and resolve and self-discipline, Paul would say. Self-discipline to live this Christian life. And so in Acts chapter 20 and verse 1, we read these words. Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, giving them courage to live the life, he said goodbye and he set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. There's this wonderful little story in Acts chapter 20 where Paul is in the city of Troas in this part of his journey. He's encouraging the believers there to hang tough, to keep following Christ. And because he knows that his time is very short, he does, and I quote, he kept on talking until midnight. I promise I won't do that. Maybe till noon. But no, I won't even do that. But in this particular story, a young man named Eutychus is in the audience. He's in the room where Paul is talking, and he's sitting up in a window frame. And as Paul is talking, and the scripture says that Paul went on and on literally says that as this happens eutychus nods off and he tumbles out of the window and he falls three stories down to the ground bam and is taken for dead this is why churches are built on ground floors now you're safe And you can imagine Paul. I mean, does Paul say, hearing, watching this, serves him right. Serves him right. He shouldn't have been asleep in church. No. The Bible says that Paul, you know, rushes down. He goes down and he throws himself on Eutychus and helps him get up again. And you get the sense of the grace of, of Paul's action here. Because Paul understands that it's a hard thing to stay awake to the cause of Christ in our world. It's a hard thing with all the other pressures stretching us and pulling us to stay alive to the presence of God and to keep living for him. And maybe especially hard when we're younger, not to nod off, not to, to, to go to sleep to the cause of Christ. Sure, there are times when somebody needs to be whacked upside the head or maybe given a boot a little bit lower down in order to stay with the program, to avoid falling asleep on the job as a follower of Jesus. Paul makes it clear in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 that, that, that the biblical concept of encouragement is not just all soft and fuzzy. It's not all about just comforting and assuring people. You know, not about that. You know, sometimes it's about rebuking people and correcting people and challenging people. But always, says Paul, and I quote, with great patience and careful instruction are we to encourage each other. It's this balanced tone we hear so often of, of deliberate challenge, but compassion that we hear in Paul as he encourages people, especially so when we hear him talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. Just hear a couple of quotations from what Paul says to Timothy. I remind you, Tim, to fan into flame the gift of God. People need reminding. Men, people in your family need reminding that it takes effort to keep the flame of God alive. I remind you to fan into flame 
the gift of God which is in you. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, Timothy, he says. Continue in what you've learned. Don't give up. Keep going. Continue in what you've learned. And the Lord be with your spirit, he says. Grace be with you. Can you hear the positive, hopeful, encouraging tone here? At the top of our bucket list as followers of Jesus Christ has to be this passion to encourage people more. To not just take it that they'll find their own way. That they'll just clue in on their own. That the world will usher them into the presence of God. Men, we need to be encouraging people toward a deeper reception of God and a response to the grace and the truth of God. But that encouragement comes best when it is delivered like Paul does. Filling the word with grace and not judgment. As near as I can figure it out, the second thing on Paul's list next to encouragement was this ambition. Before I die, I want to pray for my family faithfully and fervently. I want to pray for them to be filled with the grace of our Lord. No, but nowhere, I think, is that commitment more beautifully expressed than in the prayer that Paul offers for his spiritual sons and daughters in the Ephesian church. In fact, I write the citation for this prayer at the bottom of every baptismal certificate. I give it to you, parents, in the hopes that you'll read it. And this will become your prayer for your kids day by day in, in the years to come. In fact, there's no prayer that's a more regular part of my own prayer pattern for my family or the kids of our church than this one. Paul says, Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, I pray that Jesus will not be a word to you. I, I, I pray that Jesus will not just be a symbol to you. I pray that Jesus will not be uh, just a, a bit of history to you. I pray that Jesus will come to live in you more and more within you. And then Paul goes on, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. In other words, I pray that your life will have solid foundations. He's saying, my children, I want you to know that the greatest foundation for life is the love of God. And I pray that you'll be rooted and established in that love. And you'll have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. In other words, I pray that you'll come to know that Christ's love is the greatest power of all and that He will fill you up and overflow you with that love. I might, I might be out there praying that my kids get good grades, that they might get into a good college, that they might you know, uh, marry some wonderful gr uh, girl. My, I have three boys. Those might be on my prayer list, but, but the greatest prayer I have for my kids is that their lives will be about the love of God filling them up and overflowing them. Is that the prayer that we're praying for our children these days? And then Paul concludes, now to him who is able to Im do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power 
that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, I pray that Christ will do in you what I as a dad, I as your spiritual father, can't do. I'm going to do my best, Paul's saying. But I pray he'll do. Abundantly, more than we could ask or imagine in you. Even if my parenting, my friending, my discipling is imperfect, and it will be. From start to finish as a disciple of Jesus, but especially in his final days, Paul prays. That's one of the luminous aspects of his ministry. He prays faithfully and fervently for his family. He believed that nothing could possibly replace asking God to do in other people what he could not do uh, in them and for them by his own power. Paul not only prayed for his family very regularly, he asked his family members to pray for each other. <laughs> pray for each other. And he was, even said, pray for me. When was the last time, Dad or, or grandfathers, that you said to your kids or your grandkids, please pray for me. Please, please pray that I live out the calling of Jesus in my life. Prayer was one of the biggest treasures Paul sought to put in his bucket. When we study the life of Paul in his finals days, it's clear there were also a couple of other key items on his list. And one of Paul's highest priorities was obviously this one. I want to equip my family for the spiritual battle they face. I want my loved ones to see that the greatest struggle going on today is not economic. It's not political. It's not social. It's spiritual. We may solve the economic crisis. We may find a way to get along with the the races. We may somehow forge some link between the Western and the Muslim world. Uh, But if we do not address the matters of the Spirit, if we do not face the battle at the core of the human soul over love versus self-interest, then we cannot possibly succeed as a race. It's at the level of the soul that we either win or we lose the battle for real health and real hope in this world. Therefore, says Paul, I want to help people. I want to help my family put on the armor of God so that they can stand their ground against all of the evil that threatens their soul that threatens their spiritual life. My priority, he's saying in effect, is to model and teach for my family how the truth and the righteousness and the peace and the faith and the salvation and the Spirit of God has enabled me to stand up against all of the evil that's bedeviled me in my life. And I want to help you put on that kind of armor too, is what he's saying to his spiritual children. In his final days, Paul also made a renewed effort to underline the importance of knowing and using the Word of God. I want to show my family the value of the Bible, Paul kept on saying. My goal is to help them see how crucial it is to know the Scriptures, not just to carry one, not just to touch one occasionally in in a religious ceremony or look at one up on a projection screen. I mean, it's so important that we take this Word into our lives, says Paul. It's so useful, this Bible. The Scriptures, they're God-breathed, he said. They're useful for teaching truth, for rebuking wrong, for correcting error, 
for training in righteousness, in the right way. If we can get our kids steeped in the Holy Scriptures from infancy on, from childhood on, if we can get them knowing the Word of God, then they're going to be equipped not just to survive the spiritual battle, but to actually advance the good work of the kingdom of God. They're going to be agents for powerful blessing in this world. There was, however, one more passionate interest on Paul's list that was so pervasive that it almost blends into the background and doesn't get noticed at all. Paul obviously thought, i got to write this stuff down. I mean, I've been talking it everywhere I go. But I, I, I want to write this stuff down. Why do you think he did that? So that it would be there after he was gone. So that my family will have this witness when I'm gone. And so he did. He did that. Without a word processor. <laughs> without the iPhone voice control application, <laughs> by candlelight with a feather quill, while locked up sometimes in a dark, dank prison. In fact, a lot of these letters are written directly from a prison cell by dictating to a helper once his eyes had grown too dim to even see the words that were forming on the page. Paul painstakingly penned in his final days the colossal book of Romans, the brilliant letters to the Colossians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and the pastoral epistles to Philemon and to Titus and to Timothy. Why didn't he just keep on talking about the faith? Why would he take such trouble to write down his story, to record? his theology to inscribe his counsel to people paul answers the question himself in these words he says it is so that in reading this my family you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of christ he did it for us he did it for us that after he was gone, we'd still have it. We'd still have the witness. We could read it over and over again and new meanings could come out to more and more to understand the mystery of Christ and his plan. And thank God he did. The question I want to ask you this morning in closing, fellow fathers and grandfathers and disciples of every kind, is what are you focusing on as you finish the race? Whether that race is another seven months or another seven years or maybe 70 years, what are you focusing on? Because one day, all of us are going to kick the bucket. Nobody gets a pass. We're all going down. So what do we want to complete before our journey here is done? Because all around of us, around us, there are voices supplying answers to this question. That our focus ought to be on amassing more experiences in our bucket. At acquiring more assets in our bucket. 
But that is not what the greatest story ever told tells us finally lasts. The Bible teaches that in the end, life is not about what gets poured into the bucket. Life is about what gets poured out. (laughs) It's, It's about the water of life we pour out to other people to water the future. That's what life is going to be about for you and me, I pray. What if Paul's list became our list? I mean, that's a wild thought. What if the reason it got put here was so that we'd have the list we needed to finish the race, to do what we needed? What if we renewed our commitment today, guys? I'm just speaking to the dads here and the mentors for a moment. Uh, Anybody else wants to listen in can. But what if we made a recommitment or maybe a commitment for the first time that we're going to do everything possible we can, whatever our past history has been, to encourage the people we know and love in the way of Christ? We're going to become the greatest encouragers our family history ever recorded. In words and deeds, in any way we can, we're just going to say, keep at it, kids. Let me model this for you. Let me show you what it looks like. Keep at the faith. It's going to be hard, but it's worth it. Keep following the way of Christ. What if we resolve that we're going to pray faithfully for God to fill our family members up with his love? When they stand at our graveside one day, they'll say, boy, dad, or that guy, he was a man of prayer. I know he prayed for me, for the love of God to grow up in me. What if we set our eyes afresh on equipping ourselves and our loved ones to win the spiritual battle? We got ourselves into Bible study someplace. We got an accountability group someplace. We put on the armor of God in various ways so that we'd then be able to show other people how to do the same. What if we resolve to equip ourselves and loved ones to win the battle? What if we read the Bible ourselves every day? What if we did? And if we shared with others the difference that it made as it corrected us and challenged us and comforted us and guided us in Christ's way? What if sometime this week we actually took the time to write down what we believe? to write an epistle to our family or somebody in particular in the family, to write a letter that told somebody in our family who we believe has saved us and how we experience him still saving us daily and what we believe the Savior will do to ultimately save us when he fills the earth and us with the splendor of his glory at his return. Maybe Maybe nobody would ever make a movie about these choices. Maybe we wouldn't care. Because we would know. We would know that we have left a lasting legacy. We have been part of the greatest story ever told. We have been part of the movement of the grace of God poured out and flowing out toward that day that we'll explore next week when Jesus Christ comes again and makes all things new.